Introduction and Preface to The Tale of a Tub by Jonathan Swift. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Introduction To the Right Honourable John Lord Summers. My Lord, though the author has written a large dedication, yet that being addressed to a prince whom I am never likely to have the honour of being known to, a person besides, as far as I can observe, not at all regarded, or thought on by any of our present writers, and I being wholly free from that slavery which booksellers usually lie under to the caprices of authors, I think it a wise piece of presumption to inscribe these papers to your lordship, and to implore your lordship's protection of them. God and your lordship know their faults, and their merits, for as to my own particular I am altogether a stranger to the matter though everybody else should be equally ignorant, I do not fear the sale of the book at all, the worse upon that score. Your lordship's name on the front in capital letters will at any time get off one edition. Neither would I desire any other help to grow an alderman than a patent for a sole privilege of dedicating to your lordship. I should now, in right of a dedicator, give your lordship a list of your own virtues, and at the same time be very unwilling to offend your modesty. But chiefly I should celebrate your liberality towards men of great parts and small fortunes, and give you broad hints that I mean myself. And I was just going on in the usual method to peruse a hundred or two of dedications, and transcribe an abstract to be applied to your lordship, but I was diverted by a certain accident. For upon the covers of these papers I casually observed, written in large letters, the two following words, Detur Dinissimo which, for aught I knew, might contain some important meaning. But it unluckily fell that none of the authors I employ understood Latin, though I have them often in pay to translate out of that language. I was therefore compelled to have recourse to the curate of our parish, who Englished it thus, lest it be given to the worthiest, and his comment was that the author meant his work should be dedicated to the sublimest genius of the age for wit, learning, judgment, eloquence and wisdom. I called at a poet's chamber, who worked for my shop, in an alley hard by, showed him the translation and desired his opinion, who it was that the author could mean. He told me after some consideration that vanity was a thing he abhorred, but by the description he thought himself to be the person aimed at, and at the same time he very kindly offered his own assistance gratis towards penning a dedication to himself. I desired him, however, to give a second guess. Why then, said he, it must be I or my lord Summers, for from thence I went to several other wits of my acquaintance, with no small hazard and weariness to my person, from a prodigious number of dark winding stairs, but found them all in the same story, both of your lordship and themselves. Now your lordship is to understand that this proceeding was not of my own invention, well, I have somewhere heard it as a maxim that those to whom everybody allows the second place have an undoubted title to the first. This infallibly convinced me that your lordship was the person intended by the author, but being very unacquainted in the style and form of dedications, I employed those wits aforesaid to furnish me with hints and materials towards a panegyric upon your lordship's virtues. In two days they brought me ten sheets of paper filled up on every side. They swore to me that they had ransacked whatever could be found in the characters of Socrates, Aristides, Epimonidas, Cato, Tully, Atticus, and other hard names which I cannot now recollect. 
However, I have reason to believe they imposed upon my ignorance, because when I came to read over their collections, there was not a syllable there but what I and everybody else knew as well as themselves. Therefore, I grievously suspected cheat, and that these authors of mine stole and transcribed every word from the universal report of mankind, so that I took upon myself as fifty shillings out of pocket to no manner of purpose. If by altering the title I could make the same material serve for another dedication, as my betters have done, it would help to make up my loss. But I have made several persons dip here and there in those papers, and before they read three lines, they have all assured me plainly that they cannot possibly be applied to any person besides your lordship. I expected, indeed, to have heard of your lordship's bravery at the head of an army, of your undaunted courage in mounting a breach of, or scaling a wall, or to have had your pedigree traced in a lineal descent from the house of austria or of your wonderful talent at dress and dancing or your profound knowledge in algebra metaphysics and the oriental tongues but to ply the world with an old beaten story of your wit and eloquence and learning and wisdom and justice and politeness and candour and evenness of temper in all scenes of life of that great discernment in discovering and readiness in favouring deserving men with forty other common topics, I confess I have neither conscience nor countenance to do it. Because there is no virtue either of a public or private life, which some circumstances of your own have not often produced upon the stage of the world, and those few which for want of occasions to exert them might otherwise have passed unseen or unobserved by your friends, your enemies have at length brought to light. It is true I should be very loath the bright example of your lordship's virtues should be lost after ages, both for their sake and your own, but chiefly because they will be so very necessary to adorn the history of a late reign, and that is another reason why I would forbear to make a recital of them here, because I have been told by wise men that as dedications have run for some years past, a good historian will not be apt to have recourse thither in search of characters. There is one point wherein I think we dedicators would do well to change our measures. I mean, instead of running on so far from the praise of our patrons' liberality, to spend a word or two in admiring their patience. I can put no greater compliment on your lordships than by giving you so ample an occasion to exercise it at present. Though perhaps I shall not be apt to reckon much merit to your lordship upon that score, who, having been formerly used to tedious harangues, and sometimes to as little purpose, will be the readier to pardon this, especially when it is offered by one who is with all respect and veneration. My lord, your lordship's most obedient and most faithful servant, the bookseller. The bookseller to the reader. It is now six years since these papers came first to my hand, which seems to have been about a twelve month after they were written, for the author tells us in his preface to the first treatise that he had calculated it for the year 1697, and in several passages of that discourse as well as the second it appears they were written about that time. As to the author I can give no manner of satisfaction. However, I am credibly informed that this publication is without his knowledge, for he concludes the copy is lost, having lent it to a person since dead, and being never in possession of it after, so that whether the work received his last hand, or whether he intended to fill up the defective places, is like to remain a secret. 
If I should go about to tell the reader by what accident I became master of these papers, it would in this unbelieving age pass for little more than the cant or jargon of the trade. I therefore gladly spare both him and myself so unnecessary a trouble. There yet remains a difficult question. Why I published them no sooner? I forbore upon two accounts. First, because I thought I had better work upon my hands, and secondly, because I was not without some hope of hearing from the author and receiving his directions. But I have been lately alarmed with intelligence of a surreptitious copy, which a certain great wit had new polished and refined, or, as our present writers express themselves, fitted to the humour of our age, as they have already done with a great felicity to Don Quixote, Boccalini, La Bruyere, and other authors. However, I thought it fairer dealing to offer the whole work in its naturals. If any gentleman will please to furnish me with a key, in order to explain the more difficult parts, I shall be very grateful and acknowledge the favour and print it by myself. The Epistle Dedicatory to His Royal Highness Prince Posterity Sir, I here present your Highness with the fruits of a very few leisure hours stolen from the short intervals of a world of business, and of an employment quite alien from such amusements as this. The poor production of that refuse of time which has lain heavy upon my hands during a long prorogation of Parliament, a great dearth of foreign news, and a tedious fit of rainy weather. For which, and other reasons, it cannot choose extremely to deserve such a patronage as that of your Highness, whose numberless virtues in so few years make the world look upon you as the future example to all princes. For although your highness is hardly got clear of infancy, yet has the universal learned world already resolved upon appealing to your future dictates with the lowest and most resigned submission, fate having decreed your sole arbiter of the productions of human wit in this polite and most accomplished age. Methinks the number of appellants were enough to shock and startle any judge of a genius less unlimited than yours, but in order to prevent such glorious trials, the person, it seems, to whose care the education of your highness is committed, has resolved, as I am told, to keep you in almost an universal ignorance of our studies, which it is your inherent birthright to inspect. It is amazing to me that this person should have assurance in the face of the sun to go about persuading your highness that our age is almost wholly illiterate and has hardly produced one writer upon any subject. I know very well that when your highness shall come to riper years and has gone through the learning of antiquity, you will be too curious to neglect inquiring into the authors of the very age before you, and to think that this insolent in the account he is preparing for your view, designs to reduce them to a number so insignificant as I am ashamed to mention, it moves my zeal and my spleen for the honour and interest of our vast flourishing body, as well as of myself, for whom I know by long experience he has professed, and still continues a peculiar malice. It is not unlikely that, when your highness will one day peruse what I am now writing, you may be ready to expostulate with your governor upon the credit of what I here affirm and command him to show you some of our productions, to which he will answer for I am well informed of his designs by asking your highness where they are and what is become of them, and pretend it 
a demonstration that there never were any because there are not then to be found not to be found who has mislaid them are they sunk in the abyss of things it is certain that in their own nature they were light enough to swim upon the surface for all eternity therefore the fault is in him who tied weights so heavy to their heels as to depress them to the centre is their very essence destroyed who has annihilated them were they drowned by purges or martyred by pipes who administered them to the posteriors of but that it may no longer be a doubt with your highness who is to be the author of this universal ruin i beseech you to observe that large and terrible scythe which your governor affects to bear continually about him be pleased to remark the length and strength the sharpness and hardness of his nails and teeth consider his baneful abominable breath enemy to life and matter infectious and corrupting and then reflect whether it be possible for any mortal ink and paper of this generation to make a suitable resistance oh that your highness would one day resolve to disarm this usurping maitre de palais of his furious engines and bring your empire hors de page it were endless to recount the several methods of tyranny and destruction which your governor is pleased to practise upon this occasion his inveterate malice is such to the writings of our age that of several thousands produced yearly from this renowned city before the next revolution of the sun there is not one to be heard of unhappy infants many of them barbarously destroyed before they have so much as learnt their mother tongue to beg for pity some he stifles in their cradles others he frights into convulsions whereof they suddenly die some he flays alive others he tears limb from limb great numbers are offered to moloch and the rest tainted by his breath die of a languishing consumption but the concern i have most at heart is for a corporation of poets from whom i am preparing a petition to your highness to be subscribed with names of one hundred and thirty-six of the first race but whose immortal productions are never likely to reach your ears though each of them is now an humble and an earnest appellant for the laurel and has largely comely volumes ready to show for a support to his pretensions the never-dying works of these illustrious persons your governor sir has devoted to unavoidable death and your highness is to be made believe that our age has never arrived at the honour to produce one single poet we confess immortality to be a great and powerful goddess but in vain we offer up to her our devotions and our sacrifices if your highness's governor who has usurped the priesthood must by an unparalleled ambition and avarice wholly intercept and devour them to affirm that our age is altogether unlearned and devoid of writers in any kind seems to be an assertion so bold and so false that i have been sometimes thinking the contrary may almost be proved by uncontrollable demonstration it is true indeed that although their numbers be vast and their productions numerous in proportion yet are they hurried so hastily off the scene that they escape our memory and delude our sight when i first thought of this address i had prepared a copious list of titles to present your highness as an undisputed argument for what i affirm the originals were posted fresh upon all gates and corners of streets but returning in a very few hours to take a review they were all torn down and fresh ones in their places i inquired after them among readers and booksellers but i inquired in vain 
the memorial of them was lost among men their place was no more to be found and i was laughed to scorn for a clown and a pedant devoid of all taste and refinement little versed in the course of present affairs and that knew nothing of what had passed in the best companies of court and town so that i can only avow in general to your highness that we do abound in learning and wit but to fix upon particulars is a task too slippery for my slender abilities if i should venture in a windy day to affirm to your highness that there is a large cloud near the horizon in the form of a bear another in the zenith with the head of an ass a third to the westward with claws like a dragon and your highness should in a few minutes think fit to examine the truth it is certain that they would be all chanced in figure and position new ones would arise and all we could agree upon would be that clouds there were but i was grossly mistaken in the zoography and topography of them but your governor perhaps may still insist and put the question what is then because of those immense bales of paper which must needs have been employed in such numbers of books can these also be wholly annihilated and too of a sudden as i pretend what shall i say in return of so invidious an objection it all befits the distance between your highness and me to send you for ocular conviction to a jakes or an oven to the windows of a bawdy house or to a sordid lanthorn books like men their authors have no more than one way of coming into the world but there are ten thousand to go out of it and return no more i profess to your highness in the integrity of my heart that what i am going to say is literally true this minute i am writing what revolutions may happen before it shall be ready for your perusal i can by no means warrant however i beg you to accept it as a specimen of our learning our politeness and our wit i do therefore affirm upon the word of a sincere man that there is now actually in being a certain poet called john dryden whose translation of virgil was lately printed in a large folio well bound and if diligent search were made for aught i know is yet to be seen there is another called nahum tate who is ready to make oath that he has caused many reams of verse to be published whereof both himself and his bookseller if lawfully required can still produce authentic copies and therefore wonders why the world is pleased to make such a secret of it there is a third known by the name of tom durfey a poet of a vast comprehension and universal genius and most profound learning there are also one mr rymer and one mr dennis most profound critics there is a person styled dr bentley who has wrote near a thousand pages of immense erudition giving a full and true account of a certain squabble of wonderful importance between himself and a bookseller he is a writer of infinite wit and humour no man rallies with a better grace and in more sprightly turns further i avow to your highness that with these eyes i have beheld the person of william wotton b d who has written a good-sized volume against a friend of your governor from whom alas he must therefore look for little favour in a most gentlemanly style adorned with utmost politeness and civility replete with discoveries equally valuable for their novelty and use and embellished with traits of wit so poignant and so apposite that he is a worthy yoke-mate to his forementioned friend why should i go upon farther particulars which might fill a volume with the just eulogies of my contemporary brethren i shall bequeath this piece of justice to a larger work wherein i intend to write a character of the present set of wits in our nation 
their persons I shall describe particularly, and at length their genius and understandings in miniature. In the meantime, I do here make bold to present your highness with a faithful abstract drawn from the universal body of all arts and sciences, intended wholly for your service and instruction. Nor do I doubt in the least but your highness will peruse it as carefully and make as considerable improvements as other young princes have already done by the many volumes of late years written for the help to their studies, that your highness may advance in wisdom and virtue as well as years, and at last outshine all your royal ancestors, shall be the daily prayer of, sir, your highness's most devoted in C. December 1697. The Preface the wits of the present age being so very numerous and penetrating, it seems the grandees of church and state begin to fall under horrible apprehensions, lest these gentlemen, during the intervals of a long peace, should find leisure to pick holes in the weak sides of religion and government. To prevent which, there has been much thought employed of late upon certain projects for taking off the force and edge of those formidable inquirers from canvassing and reasoning upon such delicate points. They have at length fixed upon one, which will require some time, as well as cost, to perfect. Meanwhile, the danger hourly increasing by new levies of wits, all appointed, as there is reason to fear, with pen, ink, and paper, which may at an hour's warning be drawn out into pamphlets and other offensive weapons ready for immediate execution, it was judged of absolute necessity that some present expedient be thought on till the main design can be brought to maturity. To this end, at a grand committee, some days ago, this important discovery was made by a certain curious and refined observer, that seamen have a custom, when they meet a whale, to fling him out an empty tub, by way of amusement, to divert him from laying violent hands upon the ship. This parable was immediately mythologized. The whale was interpreted to be Hobbes's Leviathan, which tosses and plays with all other schemes of religion and government whereof a great many are hollow, and dry, and empty, and noisy, and wooden, and given to rotation. This is the Leviathan from whence the terrible wits of our age are said to borrow their weapons. The ship in danger is easily understood to be its old antitype, the Commonwealth. But how to analyse the tub was a matter of difficulty, when after long inquiry and debate the literal meaning was preserved, and it was decreed that in order to prevent these leviathans from tossing and sporting with the commonwealth which of itself is too apt to fluctuate they should be diverted from that game by a tail of a tub and my genius being conceived to lie not unhappily that way i had the honour done me to be engaged in the performance this is the sole design in publishing the following treatise which i hope will serve for an interim of some months, to employ those unquiet spirits till the perfecting of that great work, into the secret of which it is reasonable the courteous reader should have some little light. It is intended that a large academy be erected capable of containing nine thousand seven hundred forty and three persons, which, by modest computation, is reckoned to be pretty near the current number of wits in this island. These are to be disposed into the several schools of this academy, and there pursued those studies to which their genius most inclines them. The undertaker himself will publish his proposals with all convenient speed, to which I shall refer the curious reader for a more particular account, mentioning at present only a few of the principal schools. 
there is first a large pederastic school with french and italian masters there is also the spelling school a very spacious building a school of looking-glasses a school of swearing a school of critics a school of salivation the school of hobby-horses the school of poetry the school of tops the school of spleen the school of gaming with many others too tedious to recount no person to be admitted member into any of these schools without an attestation under two sufficient persons hands certifying him to be a wit but to return i am sufficiently instructed in the principal duty of a preface if my genius were capable of arriving at it thrice have i forced my imagination to take the tour of my invention and thrice it has returned empty the latter having been wholly drained by the following treatise not so my more successful brethren the moderns who will by no means let slip a preface or dedication without some notable distinguishing stroke to surprise the reader at the entry and kindle a wonderful expectation of what is to ensue such was that of a most ingenious poet who soliciting his brain for something new compared himself to the hangman and his patron to the patient this was in signe resins in dictum ora alio when i went through that necessary and noble course of study i had the happiness to observe many such egregious touches which shall, i shall not endure the authors by transplanting because i have remarked that nothing is so very tender as a modern piece of wit and which is apt to suffer so much in the carriage some things are extremely witty to-day or fasting or in this place or at eight o'clock or over a bottle or spoke by mr what you call em or in a summer's morning any of which by the smallest transposal or misapplication is utterly annihilate thus wit has its walks and purlieus out of which it may not stray the breadth of a hair upon peril of being lost the moderns have artfully fixed this mercury and reduced it to the circumstances of time place and person such a jest there is that will not pass out of covent garden such a one that is nowhere intelligible at hyde park corner now though it sometimes tenderly affects me to consider that all the towardly passages i shall deliver in the following treatise will grow quite out of date and relish with the first shifting of the present scene yet i must needs subscribe to the justice of this proceeding because i cannot imagine why we should be at expense to furnish wit for succeeding ages when the former have made no sort of provision for ours wherein i speak the sentiment of the very newest and consequently the most orthodox refiners as well as my own however being extremely solicitous that every accomplished person who has got into the taste of wit calculated for this present month of august sixteen ninety seven should descend to the very bottom of all the sublime throughout this treatise i hold it fit to lay down this general maxim whatever reader desires to have a thorough comprehension of an author's thoughts cannot take a better method than by putting himself into the circumstances and posture of life that the writer was in upon every important passage as it flowed from his pen for this will introduce a parity and a strict correspondence of ideas between the reader and the author now to assist the diligent reader in so delicate an affair as far as brevity will permit i have recollected that the shrewdest pieces of this treatise were conceived in bed in a garret and other times for reason best known to myself i thought fit to sharpen my invention with hunger 
and in general the whole work was begun continued and ended under a long course of physic and a great want of money now i do affirm it will be absolutely impossible for the candid peruser to go along with me in a great many bright passages unless upon the several difficulties emergent he will please to capacitate and prepare himself by these directions and this i lay down as my principal postulatum because I have professed to be a most devoted servant of all modern forms, I apprehend some curious wit may object against me for proceeding thus far in a preface without declaiming, according to custom, against the multitude of writers whereof the whole multitude of writers most reasonably complain. I am just come from perusing some hundreds of prefaces wherein the authors do at the very beginning address the gentle reader concerning this enormous grievance of these i have preserved a few examples i shall set them down as near as my memory has been able to retain them one begins thus for a man to set up for a writer when the press swarms with another the tax upon paper does not lessen the number of scribblers who daily pester another when every little would-be wit takes pen in hand tis in vain to enter the lists another to observe what trash the press swarms with another sir it is merely in obedience to your commands that i venture into the public for who upon a less consideration would be of a party with such a rabble of scribblers now i have two words in my own defence against this objection first i am far from granting the number of writers a nuisance to our nation having strenuously maintained the contrary in several parts of the following discourse Secondly, I do not well understand the justice of this proceeding, because I observe many of these polite prefaces to be not only from the same hand, but from those who are most voluminous in their several productions, upon which I shall tell the reader a short tale. A mountebank in Leicester Fields had drawn a huge assembly about him. Among the rest, a fat, unwieldy fellow, half stifled in the press, would be every fit, crying out, Lord, what a filthy crowd is here! Pray, good people, give way a little. Bless, need, what a devil has raked this rabble together. What squeezing is this? Honest friend, remove your elbow. At last a weaver that stood next him could hold no longer. A plague confound you, said he, for an overgrown sloven, and who in the devil's name, I wonder, helps to make up the crowd half so much as yourself. Don't you consider that you take up more room with that carcass than any five year? Is not the place as free for us as for you? Bring your own guts to a reasonable compass, and then I'll engage we shall have room enough for us all. There are certain common privileges of a writer, the benefit whereof I hope there will be no reason to doubt. Particularly that where I am not understood, it shall be concluded that something very useful and profound is couched underneath, and again that whatever word or sentence is printed in a different character shall be judged to contain something extraordinary, either of wit or sublime as for the liberty i thought fit to take of praising myself upon some occasions or none i am sure it will need no excuse if a multitude of great examples be allowed sufficient authority for it is here to be noted that praise was originally a pension paid by the world but the moderns finding the trouble and charge too great in collecting it have lately bought out the fee simple since which time the right of presentation is wholly in ourselves for this reason it is that when an author makes his own eulogy 
he uses a certain form to declare and insist upon his title which is commonly these or the like words i speak without vanity which i think plainly shows it to be a matter of right and justice now i do here once for all declare that in every encounter of this nature through the following treatise the form aforesaid is implied which i mention to save the trouble of repeating it on so many occasions it is a great ease to my conscience that i have written so elaborate and useful a discourse without one grain of satire intermixed which is the sole point wherein i have taken leave to dissent from the famous originals of our age and country i have observed some satirists to use the public much at the rate that pedants do a naughty boy ready horsed for discipline first expostulate the case then plead the necessity of the rod from great provocations conclude every period with a lash now if i know anything of mankind these gentlemen might very well spare their reproof and correction for there is not through all nature another so callous and insensible a member as the world's posteriors whether you apply it to the toe or the birch besides most of our late satirists seem to lie under a sort of mistake that because nettles have the prerogative to sting therefore all other weeds must do so too i make not this comparison out of the least design to detract from these worthy writers for it is well known among mythologists that weeds have the preeminence over all other vegetables and therefore the first monarch of this island whose taste and judgment were so acute and refined did very wisely root out the roses from the collar of the order and plant the thistles in their stead as the nobler flower of the two for which reason it is conjectured by profounder antiquaries that the satirical itch so prevalent in this part of our island was first brought among us from beyond the tweed here may it long flourish and abound may it survive and neglect the scorn of the world with as much ease and contempt as the world is insensible to the lashes of it may their own dullness or that of their party be no discouragement for the authors to proceed but let them remember it is with wits as with razors which are never apt to cut those they are employed on as when they have lost their edge besides those whose teeth are too rotten to bite are best of all things qualified to revenge that defect with their breath i am not like other men to envy or undervalue the talents i cannot reach for which reason i must needs bear a true honour to this large eminent sect of our british writers and i hope this little panegyric will not be offensive to their ears since it has the advantage of being only designed for themselves indeed nature herself has taken order that fame and honour should be purchased at a better pennyworth by satire than by any other productions of the brain the world being soonest provoked to praise by lashes as men are to love there is a problem in an ancient author why dedications and other bundles of flattery run all upon stale musty topics without the smallest tincture of anything new not only to the torment and nauseating of the christian reader but if not suddenly prevented to the universal spreading of that pestilent disease the lethargy in this island whereas there is very little satire which has not something in it untouched before the defects of the former are usually imputed to the want of invention among those who are dealers in that kind but i think with a great deal of injustice the solution being easy and natural for the materials of panegyric being very few in number have been long since exhausted for as health is but one thing and has always been 
the same, whereas diseases are by thousands besides new and daily additions, so all the virtues that have been ever in mankind are to be counted upon a few fingers, but his follies and vices are innumerable, and time adds hourly to the heap. Now the utmost a poor poet can do is to get by heart a list of the cardinal virtues and deal them with his utmost liberality to his hero or his patron. He may ring the changes as far as it will go, and vary his phrase till he is talked round, but the reader quickly finds it is all pork, with a little variety of sauce. For there is no inventing terms of art beyond our ideas, and when ideas are exhausted, terms of art must be so too. But though the matter for panegyric were as fruitful as the topics of satire, yet would it not be hard to find out a sufficient reason why the latter will be always better received than the first. For this being bestowed only upon one or a few persons at a time, is sure to raise envy and consequently ill words from the rest who have no share in the blessing. But satire, being levelled at all, is never resented for an offence by any since every individual person makes bold to understand it of others, and very wisely removes his particular part of the burden upon the shoulders of the world which are broad enough and able to bear it. To this purpose I have sometimes reflected upon the difference between Athens and England with respect to the point between us. In the Attic Commonwealth it was the privilege and birthright of every citizen and poet to rail around and in public, or to expose upon the stage by name any person they pleased, though of the greatest figure, without a creon, and hyperbolus, and Alcibiades, or Demosthenes, but on the other side the least reflecting word let fall against the people in general was immediately caught up and revenged upon the authors, however considerable for their quality or their merits, whereas in England it is just the reverse of all this. Here you may securely display your utmost rhetoric against mankind in the face of the world. Tell them that all are gone astray, that there is none that doeth good, no, not one, that we live in the very dregs of time, that knavery and atheism are epidemic as the pox, that honesty is fled with astraea, with any other commonplaces equally new and eloquent, which are furnished by the splendida bills, and when you have done the whole audience, far from being offended, shall return you thanks as a deliverer of precious and useful truths. Nay, further it is but to venture your lungs, and you may preach in Covent Garden against foppery and fornication and something else, against pride and dissimulation and bribery at Whitehall. You may expose rapine and injustice in the inns of court chapel, and in a city pulpit be as fierce as you please against avarice, hypocrisy and extortion. It is but a ball, bandied to and fro, and every man carries a racket about him to strike it from himself among the rest of the company. But, on the other side, whoever should mistake the nature of things so far as to drop but a single hint in public, how such a one starved half the fleet, and half poisoned the rest, how such a one from a true principle of love and honour, pays no debts but for wenches and play, how such a one runs out of his estate, how Paris, bribed by Juno and Venus, loath to offend either party, slept out the whole cause on the bench, or how such an orator makes long speeches in the Senate, with much thought, little sense, and to no purpose. Whoever, I say, should venture to be thus particular, must expect to be imprisoned for scandalum magnatum, to have challenges sent him, to be sued for defamation, and to be brought before the bar of the house. 
but I forget that I am expatiating on a subject wherein I have no concern, having neither a talent nor an inclination for satire. On the other side, I am so easily satisfied with the whole present procedure of human things that I have been for some years preparing material towards a panegyric upon the world, to which I intended to add a second part entitled A Modest Defence of the Proceedings of the Rabble in All Ages. Both these I had thoughts to publish by way of appendix to the following treatise, but finding my commonplace book filled much slower than I had reason to expect, I have chosen to defer them to another occasion. Besides, I have been unhappily prevented in that design by a certain domestic misfortune, in the particulars whereof, though it would be very seasonable and much in the modern way to inform the gentle reader, it would also be of great assistance towards extending this preface into the size now in vogue, which by rule ought to be large in proportion, as the subsequent volume is small, yet I shall now dismiss our impatient reader from any further attendance at the porch, and having duly prepared his mind by preliminary discourse, shall gladly introduce him to the sublime mysteries that ensue. End of Introduction and Preface